Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. As believers, we find ourselves in a conflict. A culture war, if you will. It is a war between Christ-centered, conservative, biblical values on the one hand and humanistic, liberal, non-biblical views or values on the other hand. And in this war, we, God's people, are the enemy. We are the adversary. And if the devil has his way, he is going to do everything he can and is doing everything he can right now to seize control of the environment and do everything to try and convince us as God's people that we are incapable of resistance. And such is Daniel's story. Daniel was a young man who suddenly found himself in an environment that was nothing like the Judeo culture he was raised in. He was a thousand miles away from home and at war with the pagan culture of the Babylonians. Now when we hear the name Daniel, there's, I think, the tendency to think of him as some old, outdated prophet who wouldn't have a clue what it's like to live in a culture like ours. That he wouldn't have a clue how to deal with the daily struggles and challenges that come our way. But I submit to you tonight that that would be far from the truth. The story of Daniel is the story of a young man who would understand our challenges all too well. Daniel would have known what it was to work in an office with people who are hostile to his belief system. He would have known what it was to walk into an educational setting where everything taught was diametrically opposed to what he believed to be the truth. He would understand the difficult choices that we have to make every single day. I believe Daniel would understand the temptation to stuff your biblical convictions into the corner of some out-of-the-way office or school locker. 
Daniel is an inspiration to all of us who face cultural clashes on a daily basis in our postmodern world where Christians have lost home court advantage. I mean, let's face it tonight, the Babylonian culture of the 21st century is the United States of America. And God's people, that's us. We are faced with the uneasy task of learning how to stand in a way that first and foremost honors God, but at the same time allows us to make an eternal impact on those around us. Like me, no doubt, many of you here knowing the history of this church with Pastor Hardy and of course with Pastor Durrell, you have heard plenty of preaching and other men that, he's, that those men have brought in to preach to you. You have heard plenty of preaching about what to do when the world calls for compromise like Nebuchadnezzar did in chapter 1. We are to purpose in our hearts, right? Like Daniel. And don't give in. And don't give up. And don't give out. Just stand. Just stand. As a songwriter put it, we must fight. Be brave. Against all evil. Never run nor even lag behind. If you would win for God and the right, help me finish it, church, just keep on the firing line. And that's good preaching. It was good preaching when Brother Hardy was a pastor, and it's, it's good, it, it, it's good, not, yeah, Brother Hardy, brother, it's good preaching when Brother Durrell is your pastor. It's good preaching any time that we need to learn to stand as God's people. We can't give in. We can't give up. We can't give out. So again, that's, that's good preaching. I was raised early in, in my years as a, as a bus kid and then as a staff member. I was raised on that kind of preaching. I was raised in a in a culture where if my pastor wasn't in a fight, he was looking to start one. I mean, that's who he was. That was his personality. That was his spirit. He was a strong preacher. He preached the word of God. He preached it straight and he preached it true. And it didn't hurt me one bit. Not one bit. I don't stand here recovering from anything tonight. Amen. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for my pastor and for the way that he preached the Word of God and the way he taught us to stand. And so, and so we know what we're supposed to do when they call for compromise. 
And we've also been taught and we've been preached to many, many times from, from Daniel chapter 3 about what we're supposed to do when our culture calls for tolerance. And well, that's a loud call nowadays, is it not? We've got to be tolerant. And if we were to turn to Daniel chapter 3, which we won't tonight, we would find one of the most thrilling narratives in all of the Bible. The story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being thrown into the fiery furnace is one of courage triumphing over cowardice. It's a story of conviction triumphing over compromise. It's a story of three young men who would not bend and they would not bow to the God of tolerance even, even if it meant them burning. So when the world calls for compromise and or tolerance, God help us tonight to be courageous like Daniel and his friends. But let me ask you this question this evening. Again, we know, we've been taught, we know what to do when they call for compromise. And we know what to do when they call for tolerance. But let me ask you this question tonight. What do we do when the world calls for help? What do we do when those who for so long have been against us at work, at school, in our neighborhood, in our community, on our team, for so long they have been against us and all of a sudden, they find themselves in a situation where they need us. And that does happen from time to time. It's not uncommon for an unbeliever to be going through life, not acknowledging their need for God in any way, shape, or form, and quite honestly, many times even boasting of that, and then, without warning, find themselves in the midst of a crisis. It could be a health crisis. It could be a marriage crisis. It could be a work crisis or a money crisis or a morality crisis, whatever. When that happens, it's been my observation 
that their first tendency is to resort to some tried and, and true solutions that have always been able to bail them out of trouble in times past. And when those things don't work, then they may go to a trusted friend or two, hoping that, that maybe they can lend them something that would result in a solution. But when all that fails, they find themselves very desperate. And it's at that point of desperation that they begin to entertain the thought of something that they have never, ever considered before. God. God. But where do they turn? They don't go to church. They don't have a pastor. They don't have any connection with anything or anyone spiritual but you. You're it. Well, I know Bill, he goes to church. I know Sue, they're always in church. Maybe I'll ask them. So here's the question tonight. Will you be ready? When you find yourself thrust into a situation like that, how will you handle it? I remember very, very clearly when this happened to a man in our church. He was a relatively young man. He was, was one of our deacons. Brother Mike still in our church, faithful man of God. And at the time of, of, of this incident, the plant that he was working on there outside of, of Liberal, they were, they were, I don't know what you call it, but they were making, a, it was a total makeover. It was a total redo. All the instrumentation, everything. I mean, from the, from the top down, they were redoing everything. And as usual in those kind of situations, not, not everything was going as planned. Houston was on their tail every single day. We are losing millions of dollars a day. You guys have got to get your act together. You got to work overtime. I mean, the, the pressure, the pressure was on. The organization, we could put it this way, was in crisis mode. Brother Mike had worked at this plant for a number of years at this point and honestly was a, a very respected man by everyone. He had, he had earned that respect by being consistently Christian. One of his co-workers had already been saved and 
in about an hour, about 30 minutes, 20 minutes, he will probably be sitting in a chair in the auditorium of Fellowship Baptist Church. That was probably 10, 12 years ago. But another one came to him one day. And in effect, he said this to Brother Mike. He said, Mike, you know that I am not a religious man. But with everything that is going on around here right now, I just had to stop and pray this morning. I just had to. What happened? What happened to cause a lost man to pray? And then tell someone about it. I'll tell you what happened. He found himself at a crisis point in his life. And he needed to reach out to someone. And he chose the man who had maintained a respectable Christian testimony. So with that in mind, let's take a look at the story here in Daniel chapter 2. The unbeliever in this case is King Nebuchadnezzar, some 600 years before Christ. His crisis was a dream that he had, which to him was probably more like a nightmare. Look at verse 1. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams wherewith his spirit was troubled and his sleep break from him. The word troubled there means to beat or to agitate. So, so this was some serious stuff that really had the king worked up. But not to worry. His trusted magicians and astrologers and sorcerers had always, always been able to help in the past. So in verses 2 through 6, he turns to them again. But this time... Things are different. Verse 2. Then the king commanded to call the magicians and the astrologers and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans for to show the king his dreams. Notice that. For to show the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. And the king said unto them, I have dreamed a dream and my spirit was troubled to know the dream. Then spake the Chaldeans to the king in Syriac, O king, live forever. Tell thy servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. And the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The thing is gone from me. 
If ye will not make known unto me the dream with the interpretation thereof, ye shall be cut in pieces, and your houses shall be made a dunghill. But if ye show me the dream and the interpretation thereof, ye shall receive of me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and the interpretation thereof. You see it? Always in the past, the king told them the dream and they gave him, wink, wink, the interpretation. I mean, come on, at that point, you can make up anything. But this time... The king couldn't remember the dream. Gulp. And so he told them that they were to tell him the dream and the interpretation, both. And then he added this little bit, and if you can't, then you're going to be chopped liver and arms and legs, and well, you get the point. They were in trouble. The king's men responded to verse 10 by telling him that, that there was not a man alive who could do what he was asking them to do. Now, for time's sake, we'll not read the rest of the chapter, but as it plays out, Daniel responds to the king's cry for help. And he ends up doing what the magicians and astrologers and sorcerers could not do. With that as a background, let me give you several things that we all need to do in order to capitalize on the world's cry for help. And folks, as far as you know, that cry could come to you tomorrow. Amen. So let me give you some things to think about. Number one, be respectable because people are watching. Drop down to verse 13, chapter 2. And the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain. So they weren't able to do what the king wanted, so he, he kept his word. I want all of those wise men slain. And they sought Daniel and his fellows to be slain. Then Daniel answered with counsel and wisdom to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, which was gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. Now watch this. This is so good. Daniel answered with counsel and wisdom. Not with fire and brimstone. Not with defensiveness. Not with arrogance. Not with a judgmental spirit. Not with condemnation but with counsel and wisdom. 
And Arioch explained how serious this matter was. And understand this tonight, that by delaying his obedience and not executing Daniel and his friends right there on the spot, Arioch was risking his own life. But here's what the officers in the palace had learned about the four Hebrews, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They had learned that they were trustworthy. Their actions and words over the course of the previous three years had proven that. I cannot emphasize enough tonight the importance of right behavior on the job and in your family and at school and out and about in the community and online. And online. Listen. If you don't get this part right here right, then nothing else I say tonight will, will matter. Amen. It will not matter. You have to get this right because this is where it all starts. If you want to earn the right to be the one they come to for help, then you have to live a life worthy of respect. Right. So many Christians don't impact those around them for the Lord. And I'll just be honest with you tonight, it's because they aren't respected. They're just not respected as an employer. They're not in, respected as an employee or a supervisor or a teacher or a coach or a student or a player or a neighbor or a coworker or a relative or a customer or anything else for that matter. They have not earned respect. And because they aren't respected, then they are the last person that someone who's lost and needing help is going to go to in a crisis. In case you aren't aware tonight, we live in a time when everything that we say and do is being monitored. And the people you work with and live around and, and, and participate in activities with, listen to me tonight, they are keeping score. And you're either passing or failing in their book. And by the way, it's their book, their book that counts in the context of what we're talking about tonight. It's their score that matters. That's why it's so incredibly important that we watch what we post on various social media outlets that are available to us today.
And I'll just say this, especially in the politically charged society that we live in. Be careful. Be careful. If you're going to build a respectable life, then you cannot be embroiled in every controversy that arises. Church, listen, listen, listen. There is a bigger prize at stake here than winning some social media skirmish. Are you, are you listening? And that bigger prize is our respectability as believers and our ability to impact lives for eternity. Yeah, but I set him straight. At what cost? At what cost? Okay, so you want a five-minute internet squabble. That person that you won against is going to spend eternity somewhere. And it'll last longer than five minutes. This brings us to the next thought, which is this. We need to be ready... Be respectable because people are watching. We also need to be ready because a crisis will come. There is going to come a time when someone in your circle of influence is going to sense the limitations of human resources. And like the Chaldeans in the narrative of Daniel chapter 2, they're going to realize... That this one is outside their realm of, of ability to maneuver and to manipulate. And maybe, listen, maybe for the first time ever, they are going to begin to consider the possibility of divine intervention. But where will they go? They may come to you. And again, my question is, will you be ready? <laughs> well, yeah, I'll be ready. All I got to do is pull out my phone and call the pastor or one of the ministry staff or one of the deacons. <laughs> yeah, I'll be ready. Okay, time out. Time out. Listen. The unbeliever that God has connected you with probably doesn't even know who Troy Durrell is or Daniel Fleet is or any of your deacons are. But they know you. That's why they've come to you. They're not interested in what any of these others have to say. They're interested in what you have to say. Well, Brother Prater, what do I say? And to that, I'll just say this. If God has so orchestrated things in a lost person's life that they have turned to you, 
then rest assured, God is going to guide you every step of the way. He will. The Spirit will guide you into truth that you need to share. So when a crisis comes to someone near you, be ready. The third thing you need to understand is that you need to be restrained because timing is everything. Every situation is different. And our sense of timing is so critical. The man I spoke of earlier whose co-worker approached him at, at work and told him he prayed even though he wasn't religious. This man had such a good response. He looked at him, I mean straight in the eye, Brother Mike looked at him and he said, well, that's good, but the prayer you really need to pray is God be merciful to me a sinner. What you really need to do is turn or you will burn. Okay, that's not what he really said. <laughs> but that's how some Christians tend to respond. Honestly, that's how some Christians tend to respond. They think that they've got to drop the G-bomb, the gospel bomb on them right away. And because the timing wasn't right, they ruined the moment. Does that make sense? So Brother Pred, are you telling me that not every conversation with a lost person has to include the gospel? That's exactly what I'm telling you. That's exactly what I'm telling you. I used to tell our, our folks at home this, if you can't pick the fruit, don't bruise it. That's good. Amen. That's good. In other words, if the timing isn't right to talk about the gospel, and the timing is not always right. Now, now listen, Brother Mike could have did one of these one, two, three, pray after me, brag about leading his co-worker to the Lord things, but he's been taught better than that. That, that's not how we roll. And the timing wasn't right. And if the timing isn't right in your situation, then, then always make sure that you leave the situation in such a manner that you can come back to it later. If you can't pick the fruit don't bruise it. Here's what Brother Mike actually said to that man. He called him by name. And he said, when this is all over, we're going to talk. That's all he said. Now, he could have lectured him about you're lost and God didn't hear your prayer and you need to get saved and blah, 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 blah. What good would that have done? None. He simply said, when this is all over, 
we're going to talk. And by doing that, he paved the way for another opportunity at another time to approach his coworker and say something like this. Hey, you remember, remember a few weeks ago when you told me how you prayed that morning and, and I told you that we were going to get together and we were, we were going to talk? Let me ask you something. And at that point, Brother Mike made the opportunity to turn the conversation into a gospel conversation with his coworker. You tracking with me? Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't witness. I'm not saying we shouldn't share the gospel. I'm just saying we need to be careful because timing is so critical. Again, every situation is different. So use good judgment. And then number four, remember to be resourceful. Because you're not alone. When Daniel saw the opportunity to try and impact the Babylonians, look at verses 17 and 18. He asked Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to hold him up in prayer. Look at it. Then Daniel went to his house and made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they would desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning this secret, that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Okay, take just a minute and look around you real quick. Look, look around you. You have an incredible network of prayer partners who are willing to hold you up in prayer as you try and minister to someone in a crisis. So use them. Catch them. Hey, listen, brother, I just had a, a wonderful opportunity. God opened the door for me to share the gospel at some point with, with this guy at work. Would you just be praying with me about that? That's what Daniel did. Daniel said, hey, guys, I need you to pray for me that we don't end up being sliced to pieces. So that's what we do. We reach out to those around us. Be resourceful. Hey, preacher, would, would, you, would you just pray? Would you and the staff, just next time you're together and praying, would you, would you pray for me? Listen, God's given me this opportunity. Tonight out in the four years, man, I've, I've got to go to work tomorrow. Last week I had this opportunity to talk just briefly about the Lord to somebody. Would you pray for me this week that I would get to follow up on that conversation? Learn to be resourceful. Number five, when the world calls for help, be reserved. Be reserved. Because this is not about you. That's right. Now, I'm not going to lie tonight. It's pretty awesome. It really is. It is pretty awesome when God uses you to make a difference in the life of an unbeliever. Amen. It's awesome. Some of you, 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 get, you know what I'm talking about. But when he does, 
Stay humble. Make sure God always gets the glory. In verse 27, Daniel confirms that neither the wise men, nor the astrologers, nor the magicians, nor the soothsayers could do what the king was asking them to do. But look at verse 28. There is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets. Daniel had no desire to make this about him and his glory. He wanted the glory to go to God. As well he should have. So when those who are generally calling for compromise on the one hand. Or tolerance on the other hand. Actually call for help. What do we do? Well, we'd be respectable, first of all, because they are watching. Make sure you've earned the right to be the go-to person by living right. Be ready because a crisis will come. And again, it may come tomorrow. Be restrained because timing is everything. Be resourceful. Because you're not alone. Be reserved because this is not about you. And here's my final thought tonight from verse 47. Be rejoicing. Because God's got this. I want you to know how this encounter ended. All because Daniel approached it right. Now listen. Listen. Daniel could have went off on these people and preached judgment and, and, and condemnation and damnation and you need to turn to God and there's only one God. And, I mean, he could have went off on them. But he didn't. He approached it right. He could have been an absolute jerk about it. But he wasn't. And look where it led in verse 47. The king answered unto Daniel and said of a truth, it is that your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets, seeing thou couldst reveal this secret. Now, church, understand this. Nebuchadnezzar, in, in my opinion, is, is still not a believer at this point. At, at least not in the sense that he is committed to the God of heaven as the one true and living God. But this was the first step. Right. At this point in chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar respected God's wisdom. And then after the furnace incident in chapter 3, and we'll not read that, but you'll find that at that point he began to respect God's loyalty. So, so we're moving, we're making progress. This sinner, this lost person, if we can put it that way, he's, he's beginning, he's, be, he's getting closer 
Does that make sense? But eventually after his period, and again, we'll not read all of this, but there came a time when, when, when God humbled Nebuchadnezzar in an amazing way. There was a period of madness and a loss of title and humanity when, when he was made to eat grass like the oxen. You remember that part? And his, his hairs were grown like eagle's feathers and his, his nails like bird's claws. At that point, he came to respect God's power. And I believe that's when he became a believer Amen. in the one true God. Chapter 4 and verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven. All whose works are truth and his ways judgment and those that walk in pride he is able to abase. The journey that led Nebuchadnezzar to this confession started when he called for help. And there was a respected believer there to help him. Daniel, we know this. We know this from Daniel chapter 1. He refused to compromise. Right? He wasn't going to partake of the king's meat. He wasn't going to partake of the king's wine. He refused to compromise. But was also kind and compassionate and understanding. And those two things are not mutually exclusive. That's right. That's right. Understand that. Those things are not mutually exclusive. We can say no to calls for compromise and calls for tolerance and still say yes to calls for help. But if we say no in a mean, obnoxious, belligerent, judgmental, condemning, belittling way, then we will never get the call for help. So tonight I would ask you this, have you lived, have you lived in such a way in front of the lost that if the time came when they needed help, they would come to you? Or have you lived in such a way that that door was closed a long time ago? And lest you think that is no big deal, let me remind you tonight that God will not hold us guiltless at the judgment seat of Christ. 
the way you live your life, the way I live my life matters to him. And if you live in such a way, if I live in such a way that it turns the lost from him, instead of leading them to him, that's going to be a lot to answer for. So let's make sure when we get out into a world that is anti-you, they are anti-Eastland Baptist Church. They are anti-God's Word. They are anti-anything holy and right and godly and righteous. We don't have to give in. We can't give in. I'm sorry, but we can't give in. We must stand. But let's do it in a way that when we walk out of that situation, we've left the door open for an opportunity somewhere down the line to pray with them when that loved one dies or to visit them when they have a heart attack and they're in the hospital or they come to work devastated because of a relationship that's gone bad or whatever. I tell you, there's a lot riding. There's a lot riding on that. Let's make sure we get it right. Let's stand tonight with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I don't know how God may have spoken to your heart tonight, how he may have challenged you. Maybe you've been in those situations already, and I think some of you probably have just by your response to the preaching tonight. You know what I'm talking about. I mean, you work in a culture that is pretty much godless and vile. But they know who you are. You don't flaunt it. You're not always thumping the Bible at them. You're not always preaching to them. You just go in every day and do your best to live for Jesus. And be kind. Be a team player. Don't cheat the time clock. And there have been times when folks have come to you Man, would you just say a word of prayer for me? Hey, I heard this. I, I, I don't understand this. What, what does this mean? And you've had an opportunity to just show the love of Christ. Maybe pray with them there. Maybe at some other point. Maybe some of you have had the opportunity to eventually lead them to the Lord. Man, that's a hallelujah. Well, preacher, that's never happened to me. I'm going to say it again. It could be tomorrow. Could be tomorrow. Have you lived your life? Father, Lord, I would be a 
most dishonest man if I pretended that I had practiced everything that I've preached tonight with perfection. The Lord, you know and I know that that's not true. And Lord, I shudder to think that there are some folks who are no longer alive that maybe, maybe I could have impacted had I lived in a different way. God, I pray that you'd help us to really search our heart tonight. And where we failed you to ask for forgiveness. And where you've already given us those opportunities and we're in the midst of those now to ask you for grace and wisdom and discernment. And where this opportunity hasn't arisen yet, would you, would you give opportunity? And help us to be ready. And in the meantime, God, help us to live consistently Christian lives. Not holier than thou. Not self-righteous. Just walking in the Holy Ghost and walking in the love of God. And just trying to be the person that we know the Bible wants us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Preacher.